The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Empower Radio presents The Miracle of Healing with Lisa Campion. Meet healers, learn different modalities, and hear empowering stories of people on their healing journey. The Miracle of Healing on Empower Radio. Here's your host, Lisa Campion. Hello, I'm Lisa Campion, and this is The Miracle of Healing on Empower Radio, where we come together to discuss all kinds of healing, and I know that's something the world needs a lot of these days. seems like now more than ever. So if you're new to my show, I just want to welcome you for being here. And if you've been along on the journey for a while, then welcome back. We have a really lovely guest today. I'm super happy to have her back on my show. Um, And uh, we have with us today, Dina Miriam. And she's talking about her new book, When the Bright Moon Rises, The Awakening of Ancient Memories. And I just have to say that that Dina, some of the last book that, that she wrote, Dina, um, it touched me so deeply, the untold story of Sita, and I can't wait to talk about this one. But this one is seems like it's about like what can happen if you track your deepest soulmate love through the, your incarnational cycle. Um, and that's what's that's what we're gonna talk about today. What is love? What is karma? How do they collide? Um, and what happens when the cosmic forces and of the deities and of love kind of influence to people who are seeking to express love in the world the way that we do. So welcome so much back to the show, Dina, and your beautiful new book, When the Bright Moon Rises, The Awakening of Ancient Memories. Thank you, Lisa, for having me back. Um, I always enjoy talking to you. Yeah, I mean, um, I just love that your, um, the untold story of Sita, it really, touched me so so deeply and I was telling you before you know before um, we were rolling here that I have to buy new copies of it because I give them away and then um, I'm constantly like giving away my coffee and needing <laughs> new copies <laughs> um, so that's that's such a beautiful book Glad and, to hear that <laughs> yeah I just love it and um, and so t- let's talk about this new one um, I feel like it's got some of the same themes of love love and it divine does. energy right uh, I mean this is a theme that runs through all of my stories. Uh, and when I finished the, the um, Untold Story of Sita, which is my second book, I had you know, written My Journey Through Time, which I shared my recollections of several previous lives going back sequentially, several centuries. And I thought that was the end of it. And then I had the experience of finding myself in ancient India, writing about 
Sita, uh, from Sita's point of view as her servant. And that, then I thought after I finished that book, that was the end of it. <laughs> I had nothing more to say. And then um, I was in India again, and I had an experience while visiting one of the ancient temples where I found myself in an even earlier time, uh, uh, back when the ice was melting. And, you know, I've been very active in the whole climate change movement. Uh, and so that period of time, uh, what we're facing now is not unique. There was a time before when the ice melted, the rivers rose 400 feet over a period of centuries, migrations occurred and new civilizations flourished. So I was very interested in that time and I found myself back in that time, uh, which gave rise to many of our old civilizations in India and in China when the rivers were being formed. And then I found myself in a love story, uh, a, love, a love relationship that couldn't find its fulfillment in that time and found its fulfillment, fulfillment many millennia later in eighth uh, century China. Uh, and so it is a love story uh, because as all my writings show, love is the foundation of everything, of the universe. And uh, love that's not fulfilled in one life finds its fulfillment in another. It could be the life right after that. It could be 10 lives, depending on circumstances. But no love goes unfulfilled. And then that's human love. Then there's the love for our teachers, for the guides, for the cosmic forces. There are many, many interweavings of love relationships that we may not be aware of, but we, as we become more, become more spiritually astute, we see these love relationships which tie us together to everything, to, to tie us to everything in the universe. Hmm. One of the things I like um, <clears throat> about all of your writing and the way that you think about things, Dina, is that this <clears throat> sort of that concept of the conservation of love, you know, that nothing is lost, nothing is um, a mistake, everything is an opportunity for growing and learning and but it can seem really painful for us humans, though, like one on the human level, on the ego level. Like, how do we deal with this? The soul remembers that love is eternal, but our personal selves forget that. How do we deal with that grief? You know, I think that that um, there's a misunderstanding. Uh, it's a very complex law, this law of cause and effect. And I think a lot of people look at it as a law of, of punishment, reward and punishment. But it's actually a principle of the universe to reestablish its balance. So every action, every thought is an energy that we put out that in some way has to be rebalanced. And so karma uh, uh, is very, if you stand back and look at your lives, you see how beautiful it is because you see how you come together with your loved ones again and again uh, to complete what hadn't been completed. But the, the purpose of this law of cause and effect in addition to rebalancing the universe, is for our own awakening, is for our own learning. So nothing is imposed on us. It's our own actions from the past that determined it. And I try to show that in the stories that I tell. So right. in this story, When the Bright Moon Rises, uh, this young forest girl who comes out of the forest and falls in love with a, a young sage, but he's taken a vow of celibacy to focus on his spiritual work. And she could She was an impatient young girl. wanted wanted uh, her to be fulfilled right away. And so she chases him and chases him until finally she's sent away. And she has to learn through subsequent lifetimes, uh, patience, and 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 self discipline. 
uh, because she had none of that in that lifetime. So you, you can see if you follow one soul through many lifetimes, you can see growth. You can see the qualities that were lacking have to be cultivated through different experiences in our subsequent lives until we've mastered those qualities and then we can move on. So when she has enough uh, self-discipline and patience, she meets them again and there their love is fulfilled. Of course, no life is without trials. It's a very difficult time on earth in eighth century China. <laughs> Civil war breaks out and she has to deal with all kinds of things with him, but the love is fulfilled. She gets to fulfill that desire from millennia earlier. Wow. And these are your memories of your lifetimes? The way I experience it is, is I always say, I experience it as my own past lives, but I, I can, I, I, it could be that I'm tuning into another soul, that right. I'm channeling another soul. I can't say for sure uh, that I'm not channeling another soul, but my, it doesn't matter to me because I experience it in, 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 as very real. And so the lessons learned, I feel lessons that I've learned. And um, uh, I feel like I've gone through those experiences. So I experience it as a past life memory. Um, and do you know where that person is in your life in this time? Is that person in your timeline in the current moment? That person is not. Yeah, it's, it's at the end of the book, um, there's a completion. There's, there's, this book also deals with um, in between earth births. It begins in that celestial world, what today we would call another dimension. So just as I've explored time, going back in time, I've also begun to explore interacting with other dimensions into, into the post-Earth, post uh, where we go when we leave our physical body. Right. The book begins there and then has an interlude there and then ends there, where um, her beloved, who dies when she's still early in their marriage, I think after about 12 years, 14 years, something like that. He, they meet again in that world and have a long time. It's interesting because we call this our life and that the afterlife, right? We can be here 50, 60, 70 years and we could be there 200 years. So which, which is our home? <laughs> which is the go, what is the going out, you know? In writing this book, it changed my whole relationship with that world that we go to when we leave our physical body, actually, because I began to have memories of that time as well. Wow, that's so interesting. I've done some of that myself when I, I did a life between life regression with a student of Michael Newton's who, who does the life between life regressions. And it, it was very different um, from ordinary life or what we think of as ordinary life and the way that we love and um, it seems like there's no jealousy there. There's not. There's like um, kind of a desire to uplift each other, and the places where we get stuck in, as humans didn't seem to be there. Is that? What, what, did you also experience that? Uh, you, you really said it. <laughs> Is that that the love that exists in that realm? Of course, there are many different ways to experience that realm, depending on what your state of consciousness is. Uh, but but in the higher realms, in the more refined realms. Um, lo love is not is is unconditional. Mm -hmm. um, there's no jealousy. It's it's an expanded love that encompasses much more. In other words, it's a state of being. It's not like I love that person. I'm attached to that person. I have to be with that person. It's it's a um, and it and it a, um, a state of being, which in, which in, is very inclusive. Uh, in the book that I'm just finishing now, I I go into that in a little more depth. 
because the uh, the seeker in the book that I'm that I'm writing about begins to ask questions about: Do the gods marry? Do the deities marry? Do they have children? Wow. Um, and they do. There are there are marriages, and there there are what we call deities. So today we might call beings living in these higher dimensions, right? Uh, they 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 come together for cosmic purposes, not to satisfy um, uh, uh, physical desires, but for the for the expansion of love that will have a great effect on maintaining the harmony of the many many universes. So their their unions have a much uh, broader impact. It's not for personal desire. It's for the well-being of a larger whole. I always thought that they seemed a little rocky, those marriages, certainly in fable times, like poor Zeus and Hera. They need some couples counseling, you know, about those two. But you know, I, mean... I, think, I think that um, at, at a certain, way back in history, there was a purity in the perception of these, of these uh, beings. But over time, they adopted very human traits. So they became humans who just mm. lived in the sky. Right. <laughs> But they had jealousy and anger, and they, you know, fought each other. I think that was a projection of human traits, as these stories were told again and again. And people lost the understanding of, of these cosmic forces. They humanized them. Right, which is really all we can do because it's so hard for us to perceive divine energy. We can only kind of look at it through our own filter of our humanness. I'm so excited that you're writing another book. Um, what's it called, and when's it coming out? It's called um, Rukmini and the Turning of Time, uh, uh, the Birth of an Era, the Dawn of an Era. And it's about, uh, it's in a way a continuation of the Sita book, yeah. because Sita is said to have taken birth as the wife of Krishna. Right. That Ram took birth again as, as Krishna at a very different time, mm -hmm. uh, at a time where there was a big battle taking place. And there's not much known about Rukmini, but this is a story told through the eyes of a dancer in their city at that time, and how uh, what Rukmini's what her um, effort was to preserve something of a higher knowledge, as the culture was declining into um, into a more modern uh, state of more more material consciousness. And I can't wait to read it. Thank you for still writing. It'll be um, out in the fall. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. You'll have remember. to <laughs> You'll have to come back on. We'll talk about it then. Okay, because I can't wait to read it already. Um, so. Well, considering all these sort of high-level concepts of love and human love and divine love, what, what do you think the purpose is? Why do we come here? Why can't we just stay there in that blissful state of unconditional love with our soulmates? Why do we choose to incarnate? Well, eventually the goal is to graduate so that we can stay there. That, that is, that's the purpose of, of spiritual uh, work, spiritual effort. But we come back because we still have desires here. We have attachments. We haven't fulfilled love relationships from the past. Um, we still have uh, desires for wealth, for power, um, for artistic creation. You know, you want to be a great dancer, but it doesn't happen in this life. Well, you know, if that desire, if you don't, if you, if that desire persists, if you don't mm -hmm. find a way to, to free yourself of that desire, you're going to come back and be a great dancer at some point right. in time. Um, so we still. You know, most of us, we're not aware of all our desires and, and latent uh, ambitions, intentions, but um, uh, until we can free ourselves from those, we're, we, we come back. Huh. Right, because it's really like we need to have the experience of things, right? Like in the, 
I think we have a different um, experience when it's run through our sensory self, our physicality, our nervous system, our emotional self. We experience um, the, we, life and these things in a very different way than when we do when we're in spirit. At least that's what I think. What do you think? It's a different experience, because right, no question. And, and, the, and in the book I'm working on now, um, some of the beings from that dimension decide, want to take human birth to experience physical reality. Yeah. And so sometimes you have these higher beings, maybe for a brief time, uh, uh, but they want the experience, the human experience. Uh, and these may be, you know, what we consider the, the enlightened beings who come down. Like Jesus or Krishna, yeah, yeah, Buddha, or something Buddha. like that. It may be that they, they've come down to to uplift humanity, but also to know what the human experience is like. So they have to go through the trials. Once you have a human body, you go through the trials. You age, you know, you have suffering. Um, that's part of the package. Right. I thought it was so interesting how you looped in China because you write a lot about India in your books and you know and here's another beautiful and ancient civilization and they seem very connected in the in your work this time around and this, i didn't really know that this was a total surprise to me because i had i had not felt connected to china until i found myself in the chinese body as a Taoist. i didn't know much about Taoism, but suddenly i love those guys i, I was thinking i was thinking of the Tao. I, I mean i was i became a Taoist for the one year that I was writing the book, or the nine, ten months I was writing the book, absorbing myself in the Taoist worldview. Um, and since then, I have not lost that appreciation for ancient Chinese culture. We think of China, we think of the current political system, but that's just a blip in a long timeline. Right. Um, and, but there's a very culture that goes back as far as India. And, um, you know, there was a time when there were no borders, there were no countries, and sages walked across mountains and and it, it, there was interchange. Uh, the ancient sages of China with their neighbors, the ancient sages of India, I'm sure had a lot of interaction. Mm -hmm. And there's some beautiful stories about the uh, Taoist masters that I've tried to capture some of them in the book. Huh. Yeah, I love those. I love the Taoists too. That's, um, I remember lifetimes that I had in Japan and I actually lived there in this, um, this time around and um, feel very drawn to that, that culture. Um, so uh, for the average person who's, you know, not, doesn't remember their past lives like you do, what can it benefit us to do past life regression or what do you recommend around that? Like, how do you think it's good to access that information? I, I think that it, um, not out of curiosity, but out of needing to know something, there, there's been a lot of research, which I wasn't aware of, because to me, this has all been organic. I haven't had any of this induced. But there's been a lot of research in the last 20 years of people who've had phobias, who've had, yeah. they've come into this life with challenges that they can't understand. Yeah. They go into past life regression and they get to the source of it and the, 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 the phobia is, is, is resolved. So I think that under a skillful master, past life regression can be useful. Yeah. But there's a need to know. But just curiosity seeking, I don't think there's any purpose. It distracts you from what your current uh, uh, work is here. Um, right. I would not have sought it had it not come to me organically in my meditation. Interesting. But having seen it, it's explained so much to me. Uh -huh. And it explains so much about my current life, about the workings of the universe, and how to work toward a future that I want to... If you know that the past created your present, then your present is creating your future. So how can we better shape our future? That, that's the Beautiful. real thing. 
that seems I I think a lot of people think of sort of like a parlor trick, you know, or a curiosity. And um and I, I agree with you. I feel like it's useful when it's impinging on us in some way that where we need resolution. Um and then it can be really helpful. But I think just to know that, that death is not the end, that we have a long past and we have a, a future and that we're uh, there's no end. <laughs> Right. And that we are the shapers of our destiny. There's no judge who's punishing us or, or, or watching over us. Is that we create our situations for our own growth and learning. So how can we use our current situation to grow and to learn? And how can we be more live more mindfully so that we can shape a, a better future for ourselves? I mean, what projecting ourselves into the future? What kind of life do we want next time around? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good point. Good point. And I love how your work is very feminine centric, you know, like it seems like a lot of it is through the lens of the feminine. I know in the other parts of your life, you're very invested in um, the Global Peace Initiative and some of the organizations that you belong to that are very much about women and women's spirituality. Can you talk a little bit about about that? Well, I started my work 20 years ago when there were very few women in the interfaith world, very few women in, in held up as spiritual leaders. Um, and, and this, I see now that I've looked into my past, a lot of my past experiences have led me to this moment where I felt the need to create a platform for women spiritual teachers. Of course, I moved beyond that after doing that for a number of years and now um, seek gender balance because the whole thing is about balance, right? Women have to have a voice, the higher, and then I began looking for the divine feminine, the, the, the uh, feminine emanations of the divine energy, uh, because I've had many women teachers in the past, Sita being one of them. Uh, and in this, in this book, uh, during the earlier part in ancient India, the sage that, I, uh, uh, taken, taken, that has taken care of me really is a, a woman sage, Sage Gayatri. Uh, and that was a very important relationship for me. So I've had these experiences, in me that I didn't know when I started the Global Peace Initiative of Women, but has since discovered that I've had encounters with great women spiritual teachers. Right. Uh, and so to bring their voice out, I felt there was a great need. 20 years ago, their voices were not heard. Today, wow. I think their voices are heard. That's so good. That's so beautiful. So um, you've had some really good teachers right, right to the top there. Amazing. Um, so let's talk about how people can find your books and and find your your website and all of that. Let's take a look at that. Well, all the books are on Amazon. Um, they're not yet in the bookstores, but they will be. Bright Moon Rises will be in the bookstores sometime, I think, in the fall. But now, if you just type my name on Amazon, my books will come up. Right. Uh, and I have a Facebook page, Dina Miriam Author, where I do book readings. Oh, cool. uh, every few weeks I do a book reading. I'm now doing a book reading um, from When the Bright Moon Rises, doing a series of book readings from that. Um, and so, and then I also have the Global Peace Initiative of Women as a website, right. .org. Right. Org. Um And in the Global Women's Peace Initiative, what's happening there? What's what's going on with that? We do a lot of work with, with, with young people in their 30s and 40s. Um, trying to bring spiritual consciousness to the climate movement, to environmental activists, bringing together the ecological and spiritual movements mm -hmm. because we feel the ecological crisis is a spiritual crisis. Right. It's about consciousness change, not just 
band-aids fixing things here and there but it has to be a real change in consciousness seems very timely here we are and you know doing this interview on a week where there's wildfires raging out of control and um you know in on the west coast of, of the united states and then and Europe has been in, inundated with floods, you know, and um, it seems like now's the time. Now's the time we, we, we have we have to get this together quick if we're going to change. We have to fall habits. in love again with the earth. We have to love again. We have to love the earth and all of our creatures. I read during the last um, heat dome that was over the northwest, a billion sea animals died. Yeah. You know, it's a, we, have to, we have to feel that and respond to that. You know, uh, we gain our humanity, which which means taking care for, for the other creatures of the world. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I think remembering love is kind of the way to do that. That's why I love I love it so much that you write about love, because I think we get afraid of love, or we're afraid of being hurt, or we have unhealed grief that kind of closes our hearts, and and we forget that it's okay, safe and okay to love. And I think the work that you do is really instrumental in remembering um, that that what love feels like, what it's supposed to feel like, and that ultimately it's not going to hurt us. Exactly. We feel vulnerable when we love because we don't want to be hurt. Right. But this higher love, where love is, love is a state of being, it's not attached to any one person or thing. It's a state of being. It's our true nature. When we are in our true nature, we are in a state of love. And then we can really help the world. I mean, I feel the most important thing I can do for the planet right now is to be in that state of love as much as I can. Yeah. Because the other animals feel it. They just yeah. feel it. The, the animals, the plants, they feel it. And other people too. I, I, I do agree with you. And it's, it's where I am in my own spiritual process too, is seeing how my state of consciousness is the most important thing. And if I can stay in that state of consciousness of love, um, then the world sort of changes around that. Um, and it's a little bit infectious, you know, so when you're uplifted and you're holding that high state and you carry that through your books and people read your books and pick it up, which I certainly did. And, you know, I certainly connect with that vibe because you write about it so beautifully, then that uplifts everyone's state of consciousness. Exactly. It is. That, that is the goal is the more we can stay in that state and affect other people. Um, that's the way to change our planet, to change yeah. human society. Well, thank you so much for being here today, Dina. Um, I hope everyone runs right out and gets your book, When the Bright Moon Rises, The Awakening of Ancient Memories, and, and to read all of your other work, too, because it's so beautiful and so timely. So thank you for being here, and thank you for continuing to write. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> and thanks, all of you guys, for tuning in with us too into this incredible conversation. If you want to find me, you can find me at lisacampion.com. I'd love for you to come and visit. Um, visit me and, and leave me a message or let me know how you're doing. And I just want to thank you for being here today. Or if you're listening later, thanks for being with us here on Empower, on Power Radio, where we are changing the world one person at a time. Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. 
On the Dropping In Podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify.